Welcome to The God Solution, a place where we discuss solid evidence for the Christian faith and interviews with leading Christian apologists. Each week, you'll be encouraged in your faith and equipped to defend it and share it in your daily life. You can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst. I'm thrilled that you're back with me again this week. I hope you're having a wonderful new year. As we begin a new year, I hope that you share the same sense of excitement and expectation that I have. I really believe that God is going to do great things in your life this year. Last week, I challenged you to a New Year's resolution to share your faith and to sharpen up on your apologetics so that you could deal with objections that you hear when you are sharing your faith with others. I hope that you'll take that challenge and step into it with lots of joy and excitement, relying on God and His Holy Spirit to empower you for bold evangelism and powerful apologetics. As we spoke last week, I talked about five big objections that you'll hear when you're doing just that, when you're sharing your faith. And some of the big objections that I hear included five that I talked about last week. Those were uh, the issue of miracles. How could the Bible be true if it talks about miracles? We described the reality that disproving miracles is impossible and that an anti-supernatural bias is untenable. Another objection that we talked about was the problem of pain. And you know, the fact that God has given us a free will allows people to do very bad things. But as Christians, we have hope that a good God can pull great things even from the worst of circumstances. And he can accomplish a greater eternal good than we could ever imagine in spite of temporary suffering. You know, another objection that we talked about was the telephone game. You can't trust the Bible because it's been translated so many times, who knows what was originally written? Well, we talked about the fact that we can go back to the Greek and the Hebrew and see what was originally written in spite of any translation or copy errors there might have been. We can be confident of what God gave us in his word. We talked about another objection last week, and that was the idea that science is the only way to know truth. And of course, that's crazy. Coming from someone who is a scientist, technically, I have a degree in chemistry, I love science, but I'll be the first to tell you that science can tell us a lot within a certain sphere of knowledge, but it can't tell us a lot about other things. Science has nothing to tell me about whether or not my wife loves me. It has nothing to tell me about whether or not lying is right or wrong. It has nothing to tell me about a lot of things. It can tell me a lot about the natural universe around me today, but it can tell me very little about some of the most important things in life. Who am I? Where did I come from? How should I live? How should I treat other people? Where am I going? What happens after this life? All those things are things that science can hint at, but it can't give me final answers in. So science is not the only truth. By no means is it the only truth. Okay, the last objection I talked about was the objection that that there are so many different religions. How could you know which one is true? And last week I shared the reality that there is only one religion that even claims to have a founder that conquered death. So if you're trusting someone or something with eternal life, 
Why trust anyone other than the one who actually beat death? Jesus stands alone among all the world religions. He conquered death. He's the only one that is credible when it comes to the issue of eternal life. So the five objections that I talked about last week were the impossibility of miracles, the problem of pain, the accusation of the telephone game, the lie that science is the only truth, and the accusation that there are so many religions that you can't know which one is true. You know, as I thought about it since last week, it occurred to me that there are another good five objections that I really should talk about. And those are the issue of evolution. A lot of people will say, I cannot believe in God because of evolution. I think that's a pretty shallow objection because there are evolutionists that believe in God. I think they're wrong in their perspective on evolution, but evolution doesn't even come close to refuting God's existence. And it's also wrong in and of itself. But we'll talk about that today. So another objection is evolution. Another objection is the old earth. People say, hey, if the earth is old, then the Bible can't be true. It's an objection that falls apart. We'll talk about that one. Another one is hypocrisy in Christians. And that's a big one. A lot of people say, I refuse to believe because I've seen hypocritical Christians, or even the history of the church was really bad, and because of that, we cannot believe. Remember the Crusades, remember the Inquisition, all these things like that. Those issues come up when that objection is brought up many times. We'll talk about that today. Number four, the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. So many people say, I like Jesus, I like his teaching, he was a wonderful man, he did a lot of good things. But he can't be the only way. How dare he be so exclusive and so uninclusive? <laughs> well, a good friend of mine points out that Jesus' exclusivity is precisely for an inclusivistic purpose. I hope I caught your attention with that. Stay tuned and you'll hear exactly what I'm talking about. But that objection also falls apart. Finally, the fifth objection that I want to talk about today is one that I hear more than any almost, and it's actually the one that I believe is the foundation below all the other objections. See, a lot of people say, I don't believe in God because of evolution. And then you ask them, why do you believe in evolution? They can't tell you one thing. Well, probably evolution is a smokescreen. It's something that they will tell you is why they don't believe in God, but at the end of the day, they don't even have the faintest clue about what evolution even is or why they think they believe it. What really is happening is they don't want to give up control. Their own life and their own plan for what they want to do with it, their own ideas of what they want to do, what they want to think, what they want to say, and the reality that they don't want to submit those things to a God that will hold them accountable, that issue of control probably is the fundamental reason most people reject Christ. That is the biggest objection at the end of the day. So we'll talk about that one today. We don't have a lot of time, so let's jump right into it. Let's talk about evolution. You know, if you've listened to this show long, you've heard us talk about the Best Facts Acronyms for Why We Believe in God and the Bible, and the Tall Tales Acronyms for Why We Reject Other Worldviews and Evolution. The Tales Acronym, the last of those four acronyms, explains why we can reject evolution. 
First of all, T, the transitionary evidence is lacking. And that's true for both the fossil record and the genetic record. I don't have time to get into it here. I'll just leave it at that. A in the TAILS acronym is the apparatus of evolution is insufficient. And by apparatus, I mean the mechanism. How does A turn into B? And the proposed mechanism is positive mutations that increase the genetic information available to a species that are then passed on to the offspring over time. That absolutely falls apart. In a peer-reviewed journal in paleobiology, Stephen Jay Gould said that that very theory, the theory of evolution by gradual mutation, is, quote, effectively dead despite its persistence as textbook orthodoxy. He said that in favor of his theory of punctuated equilibrium. I wish I had more time to describe what's going on here. I don't, but suffice it to say the mechanism of evolution is non-existent. It's nothing but a just-so story. L, even if there were a mechanism, the reality is that we never see life coming from non-life. And for naturalism to succeed, for a naturalistic view of the universe to be tenable, there has to be an explanation how life could come from non-life. Now, of course, we've all heard of the experiments that produced uh, organic molecules from supposed primordial conditions, but even if we were to get our hands on those supposed organic molecules, that's a very far stretch from life. And the statistics of even getting the first building blocks of, of the material that would be needed for a cell are unfathomable. You don't get life from non-life. It's never happened. And until somebody sees it happening, it's not scientific to promote that view. Okay, but even if they could, the information of the universe is naturalistically inexplicable. There's n information programmed into every biological organism on the planet. There are natural laws throughout the universe that are always obeyed without fail. And these things could not just happen. They can't explain themselves. There has to be a cause for that information and for all that design outside of itself. But look, guys, even if we gave all of that to the evolutionist, at the end of the day, the start of the universe from nothing, a finite time ago, is naturalistically inexplicable. Evolution doesn't tell us how all this came to be or how we came to be. It's an empty theory. And I just want to make a side note here that people that promote theistic evolution get the worst of both worlds. They're alienating the scientists who believe in evolution because of a belief, not because of the evidence. And they're alienating Christians who actually believe evolution is wrong because the Bible says so. <laughs> and so I think theistic evolution is kind of uh, a cop-out that gets you nowhere with anyone. It's kind of the worst of both worlds. I believe evolution is a lie. Whether it is theistic evolution or atheistic evolution, evolution is a lie. Uh, and it's not a valid objection to our faith. I remember a young man that I led to Christ many years ago began sharing his faith with his girlfriend. And his girlfriend said, I will not believe because I am an evolutionist. And I said, well, let's talk about evolution. I have no fear of talking about that and the evidence. Let's get together and talk about it. So this young lady came over to our house and my wife and I made her dinner and we began talking about evolution. It wasn't five minutes into the conversation when I realized this 
poor young woman had not the faintest clue of evolution or anything related to it. It was nothing but a smokescreen. So I kind of gently meandered away from the conversation about evolution and began asking her questions about her life. She began tearing up and that led to her bawling her eyes out in our living room, telling us of how she'd been sexually abused as a child. That precious young lady that night found a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith. She found hope and she found healing because of Jesus. Evolution for all those years served as nothing more than a smokescreen to keep people away from prying into her past, which was so sensitive and raw. But when she finally let down the smokescreen, she met Jesus and he changed her life. Okay, so evolution is an objection that falls apart. I want to talk about the old earth objection, which is kind of related to evolution. A lot of Christians incorrectly believe that old earth creationism is theistic evolution. That's dead wrong. So theistic evolution is a horrible lie. I believe it's unbiblical. I believe it paints a very bad picture of uh, God, and I believe at the end of the day, it tries to patronize an atheistic worldview, and it doesn't get any further with that either. So I think theistic evolution is wrong. Old Earth creationism is not theistic evolution. It's just the realization that creation might just have happened over longer periods of time. And unless you're pre-committed to one view of scripture that arises more because of your modern American position than because of scripture itself, that is tenable. That's possible. When we look at the Old Testament, the word yom, for example, it is used for day, but it's also used in many other ways, including long spans of time. When we look at many of the other words that are used throughout the Old Testament and in Genesis, we find that they have meanings that go beyond the way we read them today. Whether that's beget or begat, whether that's child, whether that's father, all these things could mean more than a father-son relationship. You know, I don't have time to go into it all, but at the end of the day, we can't put one narrow interpretation of Genesis onto Genesis and then say everybody that disagrees with us is wrong. I think that's crazy. We have to have some humility when we come to this question. The Bible doesn't tell us how old the earth or the universe is. And we shouldn't be dogmatic about one view over another at the expense of brothers and sisters in Christ. We should never put this issue between someone and Christ. I think we should have enough humility to say, look, I'm not certain. I might have one theological belief or doctrinal belief about the age, but I'm not going to put that ahead of salvation. I'm not going to put that between me and a brother that might have a different view on that one topic than I do. And unfortunately, I've seen many, many people get so dogmatic on that issue that they criticize and even doubt the salvation of brothers and sisters in Christ that disagree with them. And they hold that between non-believers in Christ is a litmus test that has to be passed before someone can be saved. That's ridiculous, frankly. So Ken Ham tells us in his book, Already Gone, that 80% of our youth are leaving the church when they go off to college and that 80% of those people leave because of this issue, the age of the earth issue. In other words, 64% of our youth, according to Ken Ham, are leaving the faith because they've been told that 
the earth is only a, a few thousands of years old and that there's no other interpretation. And then they go off to college and they hear things like this. They hear things like in tree rings right now, we can go back 25,000 rings at one per year. You do the math. They also might hear things like ice core samples. This shocked me the first time I heard it when I was a freshman in college. Ice core samples in the Arctic, for example, can go back nearly 1 million couplets at about one per year. So, you know, the average person looking at that would probably naturally assume that took about a million years to form. Even crazier, for example, the Green River Formation right here in the U.S. has mud varves under it, couplets that form on about a once per year basis, kind of like tree rings. And under the Green River Formation, you see over 6 million varves or couplets, which to an average person really looks a lot like it would take 6 million years to form. Of course, we haven't even gotten to starlight, where you can have starlight that we see each night that came from billions of years away. Now, of course, I could say God made the earth and the universe with the appearance of age, and I don't think there's any problem with that. You know, a lot of atheists will say, well, then God's a liar. No, he's not. He can make the universe however he pleases. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. But if God made the earth with the appearance of age, which is a fine idea if you want to hold it, you can't judge someone for wondering if it might be as old as the appearance suggests. Maybe we could just humbly say that's a, that's a doctrinal or theological issue that we can get to later down the road. We're not going to hold that between someone and Jesus. So to be honest, when somebody tells me, look, I cannot believe the Bible because it says the earth is 6,000 years old and I don't believe it is, I tell them, well, first of all, the Bible never says the earth is 6,000 years old. That is one interpretation. There are many. But you know what? Let's not even go there. Let's go to the big issue. Let's go to Jesus. Because if Jesus is who he says he is, and if he did what he said he did, and if he can offer what he says he can offer, and at the end of the day, he's the only one that even claims to be able to give it to you and claims to be able to prove that he can through his own resurrection, if he really is all that, then I'll believe anything he says. I'll believe anything he says. So instead of taking someone and putting the old earth between them and Jesus or the young earth or whatever you want, take them to Jesus and let them keep a minor issue a minor issue. Please don't dwell on that issue, whatever your perspective. Okay, evolution is a lie. The age of the earth is not worth putting between somebody and Jesus. The next objection that I hear often is hypocrisy in Christians. But before I get there, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution, you can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. Last week, we talked about five major objections people have to the gospel, apologetical issues that often come up when you're sharing your faith. Those include the supposed impossibility of miracles, the problem of pain, the telephone game accusation, the lie that science is the only truth, and the fact that there are so many religions that you surely can't pick one over all the others. We dispelled those objections last week. This week, we're talking about five more. Evolution, the age of the earth, hypocrisy in Christians, and even in the church as a whole, the exclusivity of Christ, and the issue of control. We've talked about evolution and the age of the earth. We can't go too deep into these last three topics because we don't have so much time. But right now, I want to talk a little bit about hypocrisy. So many people say, I can't be a Christian because I knew a Christian that was a total fraud. 
I had a guy once tell me, and he knew me very well. He was a student that I poured my life into, met with week after week. I gave a car to this precious young man that I love. And one day I said, so what's holding you back from Jesus? And he said, well, Christians are hypocrites. And I looked him straight in the eyes. I said, what about me? And he said, well, not you, but other Christians are hypocrites. You know, this objection, I think, is kind of silly because everybody that you'll ever see is going to be a sinner. That's the whole point of Christianity is that we need a savior, Jesus. But at the end of the day, they're good Christians, too. I think a lot of times people really focus in because Satan wants to lie to them and they really focus in on the bad Christians that they have seen. So two things here. Number one, don't ever let your life turn somebody away from Jesus. And that's a challenge to you Christians that are listening today. Don't let your hypocrisy turn people away from Jesus. Uh, I heard a statement once and it went something like this. There are five gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and your life. And some people are only going to read one of them, your life. It is an interesting way to look at it. The gospel alone is the power of God unto salvation. I don't validate the gospel with my life, but guys, I can sure shoot down the gospel with my life by my hypocrisy. So when people use hypocrisy as an objection to the gospel, I like to remind them of something I heard from Ravi Zacharias many years ago. We never judge a philosophy by its abuse. We judge a philosophy by its correct application. If Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, love your, your enemy even, if Jesus tells us that and a Christian goes off and kills someone, you could never say that they killed someone because of Christianity. I mean, Christianity taught the opposite of what they did. So we would judge Christianity not because of their abuse of it, but because of its correct application. Remember, Christians are the ones that started the world's universities, that started the world's hospitals, that started the world's charities. That's the correct application of what Jesus taught. That's true Christianity. On the flip side of the coin, the Quran says to lop off the head of the infidel. And that's just one of many similar passages. And that's not cherry picking the worst possible things. Read the Quran yourself. When we see ISIS doing those things, a lot of people say they're hijacking a peaceful religion. That's nonsense. They're doing exactly what the Quran tells them to do. Does that mean that all Muslims are terrorists? Absolutely not. I have dear, wonderful friends that I love with all my heart that are Muslims. They, fortunately, are not obeying the Quran in those statements. They, fortunately, are doing what God has put on their hearts to love their neighbors as themselves, which coincidentally is something Jesus taught, not Muhammad. So at the end of the day, we judge a philosophy by its correct application, not by its abuse. So when we see hypocrites in Christianity, we say, look, that's true. People are sinful. We all need a savior. And we also say we can't judge Jesus because of those hypocrites. Look to Jesus. That brings me to the fourth objection that I wanted to talk about today. That's the exclusivity of Christ. So many people say, look, Jesus is just so exclusive. How can you believe there's only one way? I like to remind them we believe that all the time about everything that we claim to be true. Two plus two is always four. It's never three. It's never five. It's never 2.5. It's never anything but what it is because truth is exclusive. 
That's reality. Truth is always exclusive. In fact, the whole perspective that truth has to be pluralistic is an exclusivistic claim that these people fail to realize is exclusivism in a pluralistic cloak. So it's hard to get away from exclusivity no matter how you cut it. You're always going to come back to it. But the reality with Jesus is he is exclusive for our own good to include as many as possible, as a friend of mine would often say. Look, if I didn't like you very much, I might say, hey, come to my house whenever you want. Go whichever directions you want. Hope to see you sometime. My inclusivistic, my pluralistic, my broad directions would ensure that you'd never make it to my house. But if I really loved you and wanted you to be with me, to visit with me in my home, I would give you very clear directions. Go this way, not that way. Take this turn, not that turn. Come at this time, otherwise you'll miss me. And because of the exclusivity of those directions, you would be able to make it to my house and have dinner with me. So the exclusivity itself is meant for inclusivity, to bring as many people in as possible. See, at the end of the day, we have a real problem, and there's only one solution. There's only one person that ever conquered death, and that's Jesus. And Jesus is absolutely right to tell us, look, guys, no one else can give you eternal life. They're dead. (laughs) I can give you eternal life because I beat death. He is absolutely justified to exclusivistically call us to himself. He's the only way, the only truth, the only life. Go any other way, you're going down a dead-end road. Okay, that brings us to the final issue that I think is the objection that is the foundation for all others, and that's the issue of control. So many people don't want to give up control. They want to live their life their way Right now, it's all about me. It's all about following my heart. It's all about getting what I can out of this life. And it is not about submitting to a God who will tell me what he wants me to do. That is the issue that holds most people back from Jesus. It is not the evidence. I have never seen a Christian leave the faith because the evidence for atheism was stronger or the evidence for anything else was stronger. I've never seen it. I've never seen it, and I've done a lot of ministry for many decades with a lot of people. No one leaves Christianity because the evidence was weak. That is a cop-out and an excuse that people use to cover up for what really happened. Hey, I started sleeping with my girlfriend, and it was kind of fun, so I left Christianity because of evolution. Coincidentally, evolution was just a smokescreen. That I see very often, and that is the real issue. It is a reality that people do not want to give up control. That objection is absolutely false. (laughs) We can't save ourselves. We need a Savior. And so I want to challenge you. If you've never come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, quit with the control objection and say, Jesus, look, I can't even live up to my own standards, and I surely can't guarantee myself eternal life. I need you. You can do this thing called life better than me. So God, I give you control. God, forgive me for sinning against you. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising again from the dead to give me eternal life. Please be my Savior and Lord. The Bible is very clear that if you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you will be saved. And if you made that decision today, I am so excited that you are now a part of the body of Christ. You have a great family all around you of believers that will love you and encourage you. They'll let you down, no doubt, because there are hypocrites in the church and nobody's perfect. 
But at the end of the day, Jesus is perfect and he will never leave you or forsake you. And you know, if you already are a Christian and most of you listening are, I encourage you, the world needs to hear the gospel. The gospel alone is the power of God unto salvation. And people all around you need to hear it. I just talked to a woman the other night. And I, I asked her uh, if she had any kind of faith background. She said, yeah, I'm a Catholic. And I said, well, that's cool. Uh, would you say that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith? Or is Catholic kind of just a title that you grew up with? And she goes, you know, I'm really trying to figure that one out. That is the big question going through my head right now. I don't even know what I believe. There are people like her all around you that desperately need to hear the gospel. Please get out of your comfort zone. Please share with them. And never again think, well, I won't know what to say if they ask X, Y, or Z. Over the last two weeks, we talked about how to answer X, Y, and Z. And you know, you can go to godsolutionshow.com anytime and get those shows and brush up on your apologetics and learn how to answer those objections when they come up. Please go to godsolutionshow.com, listen to past shows, listen to past interviews, get uh, a whole lot of resources there, find a link to our Best Facts Apologetics training workbook, so much more. You could even make a tax-deductible donation to keep the show going. You know, I, I really hope that you also leave me feedback, especially if you're one of the people that made a decision to trust Christ. Let me know that you took that step. I'd love to hear about it and to encourage you in your faith. So go to godsolutionshow.com and leave some comments while you're there. Keep listening to the show. Please keep telling friends about the show and getting the word out. I, I really hope it's encouraging you, and I know that there are others that could be encouraged by it as well. I encourage you again as you begin the new year to, to trust the Lord and what he's doing around you, to step by faith into situations that he is organizing all around you to share your faith. Well, like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. I believe that with all my heart. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to The God Solution. We hope that you were encouraged by what you heard today and are better equipped to share Christ this week. You can get the audio from today's broadcast and all the past God Solution shows at God Solution Show.